I would say, and I think that you would agree with me today, that there's not a man or a woman or child here today who has a proper estimation of the greatness of Christ, who has a proper estimation of the greatness of what He achieved, the greatness of the life that He bought for us, the greatness of the worship that He deserves for it, or the greatness of the joy that we will get in worshiping Him properly. Not one of us thinks too highly of those things. And I would say that the vast majority of us underestimate. We all have this in common. We, we think too little of Christ and, and His resurrection, infinitely so. No matter how much you think about it, it pales in a comparison to the reality of who it is. And, and my desire this morning is to lift up Jesus as the only worthy one because He is is worthy of our worship and he is worthy of our praise. You remember from our time last week that there in the throne room of God, John is caught up and there in the throne room, he sees in the center of the throne, one sitting there holding out his right hand. This is God. And in that right hand, literally on that hand, waiting for someone to come and take and grasp it is a book. Biblion uh, is the word, uh, probably a scroll because it's described as a book that is sealed with seven seals. And where we concluded last week that even though the strong angel was crying out and saying, worthy, uh, who, who is worthy to open the book and to loose its seals? No one was found able to do so. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 3, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. In this book would be the title deed of the earth, some commentators say. Others say it's the, it's the full plan and purpose of God. Some see this as the book of life with all the names of those who are saved and their eternal destinies. What we know and what we'll see is when this scroll is opened and these seals are released, and as it is opened, one seal is broken and it's opened, then, then these events happen which pour out the wrath of God. And then another seal is broken and then more comes out. It is the plan of God. It's the title deed of the earth. And it is, and the one who is able to take the book and to open its seals will be the one who is able to fulfill the eternal destinies of God and see His purposes fulfilled. Right now, the one who is reigning and ruling over the earth according to the Bible in this world is the devil. He is the little g, God of this world. And if no one is found worthy to take the book and open the seals and to bring forth the plan of God uh, to recapture and to retake and to restore the earth to its Garden of Eden state, then the situation is hopeless and John knows that. 
No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll. This includes every single human being that has ever lived. Think about this. All the mightiest emperors, Alexander the Great, Caesar Augustus, Genghis Khan, Napoleon, all of them would be disqualified. All the wisest philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Kant, Descartes, all of them would be disqualified. All of the greatest scientists and, in, and inventors, Pythagoras, Da Vinci, Newton, Edison, Einstein, every last one of them would be disqualified. Even among the godliest believers in the Bible or church history, Abel, Enoch, Job, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, John the Baptist, the Apostle Peter, even John himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was not worthy to go and to take the book from the right hand of God who sits on the throne. And let's just go ahead and throw this out here as well because I know that we are reading it, but you and I are disqualified if we would have been there on that day to take that book as well. For the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and therefore we too were disqualified from doing that. Even the angels, you'll notice there are no angels that step up to do so. Though angels are created and uh, because they are created beings, they're disqualified from doing so, even though they are perfect and sinless without flaw. And let's go ahead and throw this out there. You'll notice even the devil himself did not come to take that scroll because he has no ability or authority to be able to do so as well. We are disqualified because of our sin. They are disqualified because they are created beings and therefore... John, having in this vision seen the survey of those in heaven on the earth and under the earth, no one is worthy. Therefore, unless there's one who is found worthy to take the book and to release its seals, it's hopeless. And he begins to weep. Verse 4, Revelation 5 says, Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. He begins to weep, and this word weep is a strong word. He weeps. I mean, it is wailing weeping, and it seems to have extended for a period of time. He was going on. I mean, it was just overcome with grief and overcome with devastation that there was not one worthy. But then one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Now, now I want to pause here for just one second, and I don't want to. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to. I don't want to go too too quickly here. But on the one hand, you might think, you might think, what lack of compassion. I mean, here is John. He's crying. He's weeping greatly. He's weeping greatly over good things, spiritual things, right? He sees the hopelessness and the helplessness of things that's going on, and he's weeping. How dare anybody tell him to dry it up? I mean, that's in essence what he's saying, right? Now, now I would say that to my kids if they were crying over something ridiculous, right? 
I would, I would say it to, you know, I would say it if we said, okay, enough, right, here we said before, enough is enough, dry it up, let's move on, hey, let's get with the program here, right, it's not the end of the world, okay, it's not the end of the world, you didn't get the toy you wanted in your Happy Meal, okay, or, or whatever it is, right, we said no to ice cream or, or whatever, okay, uh, in, that, in that regard. We, we would say to someone who is crying for purposes that would be um, insufficient or unworthy of the tears to be cried, we would say, stop weeping. But that is not the case in the, the purpose behind the, the stop weeping command here. He's not saying stop weeping. Okay, gather yourself together. Get up and get over it and move on. It is the way it is. You need to adjust to the new reality of, of life being life the way that it is. That is not, that is not, that is not the reason he gives the command to stop weeping. He gives the command to stop weeping because there is one who is found worthy. There is an answer. There is hope. There is one who is worthy. Can you imagine John there weeping and crying and, and they saying to him, and he said, stop weeping. Behold. I love that word behold. I hope you mark the word behold in your Bible. Look. See. Whatever it is. Look. See. Behold. However it's translated in your text. Look. Pay attention to this. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. That's an interesting description of one who is worthy. John may have been looking for a strong man. He may have been looking for a big man. He may have been looking for maybe a mythological figure or something along those lines. And yet, in some ways, in some ways... Uh, what we see is, is we see that, that this is a very, John hears the words that this one is a very ferocious animal, right? Very ferocious animal. Where does this picture come from? The picture of the lion, the, the picture of the root of David. Well, Let's take a look at that. Go with me, if you would, in your Bible. It's found all the way back in Genesis, the first time that it's, that it's mentioned. Look in Genesis, if you would, chapter 49. Some of you will uh, perhaps have this marked in your Bibles where we did this study before. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis 49, Jacob is the one who has summoned his sons together. And you remember, if you were here with us during this study, 
In Genesis 49, then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come or literally in the end of the days or in the last days. So Jacob is going to gather his sons, the, 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 who are ultimately going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. And he, he gives these prophecies, these blessings to them. He speaks these truths over them. But these are not just for their lives. These are the things that will come about at the end of the time, at the end of the age, in the last time. This phrase, the end of the days, is a very common phrase. Or at the last time is a very common phrase that's used throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, to talk about the things that are going to come at the end of the time. So he says, Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. And he begins to go through and call his sons, and he begins to give them a word of blessing over them. We see this in with Reuben in verse 3. We see this in Simeon and Levi in verse 5. And we're going to come down to verse 8. Here's Judah. Judah, which means praise, is this wonderful play on words here in the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible. The word Judah means praise. And notice what he says. He says, Judah, your name means praise. He says, but your brothers shall praise you and your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. He says, Judah, just a little guy. But Judah, you need to understand that, listen, even your brothers are going to bow down to you. And the enemies, right? The enemies, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, holding them down. Verse 9. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? In other words, what Jacob says of Judah. And we're going to see as we go into verse 10, the scepter shall not, the scepter is the instrument of reign and rule authority. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And so you can see that this prophecy is going beyond Judah and Judah's life and going on to Judah's descendants and ultimately one of Judah's descendants will be lion-like. In his reign, in his rule, the scepter will not depart from his hand. So what does it mean that Judah would be, Judah is a lion's whelp? There there are two ideas here uh, in this. One is that Judah is just a, a lion's pup, if you will. 
right? And we look at those and we see, oh, look at this little, look at this little baby lion. It's so cute and cuddly. You want to take it home, but it grows into this ferocious, established beast. Both are pictured here. Judah, right now, right now, it's it's a it's it's a lion. Well, lions well. But but notice what it says. It also says that it is established and is established forever. Now, <coughs> Judah. This means that Judah would be as as dangerous to challenge as a lion guarding its prey. You know, a lion's a lion's roar can be heard for five miles. It it goes and it ferociously tracks and captures its prey before tearing it from limb to limb and guarding it until he's ready to consume it. This this is this is where this idea comes from when it says turn, look, he says, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. He says, John, there is one who is worthy, and the one who is worthy is the one who is prophesied many times throughout the Bible. First time in Genesis chapter forty nine. There is a lion who will ferociously attack and ferociously protect and ferociously accomplish all that needs to be accomplished. You see, Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the one who ferociously defeated death, hell, and the grave. Jesus is the one who ferociously defeated Satan. He is the one who ferociously took our sin and our shame upon Him. He is the one who ferociously protects and guards us all of those days. He is the one that Genesis 49 refers to. Even when it says in verse 10, until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means peace. And you know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Whether this is talking about identifying Jesus as the coming one at the beginning of His ministry or the returning one, depending on what your translation, it'll lead to one way or the other. If you read the NIV, it doesn't say Shiloh here. It says something about the one who brings peace or the one who is to come uh, in peace. He says this. He says that he is the lion. He is the root of David. To understand the root of David would require us to go to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. And just listen to this, if you would. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will raise up to David a righteous branch. I will raise up to David a righteous branch. A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he'll be called the Lord our righteousness. 
So God identified him throughout history. He identified him as the root of David. Now, it's interesting because Jesus is both the, the, the root of David. In other words, David would spring forth from him, but he's also a descendant of David as well because he was born of a virgin and he, he came. So Jesus is both, both the root of, of, of David and the descendant. David comes from the, from the root of, of Jesus. And Jesus, through the virgin birth, comes as a descendant of, of David. It's interesting when we look at these verses and, and we see this, John is told, and John certainly would be familiar with this language and would be familiar with uh, all the ways that, that Jesus um, was the lion of the tribe of Judah. John would be familiar with Christ being presented um, uh, and he would be familiar with all that he overcame uh, on the cross. And so this imagery, this, this perception of what John has in Revelation chapter 5, when the elder says, Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. This strong, ferocious, lion-like individual has overcome. John, you can stop weeping. Now, back in Revelation 5, what John heard and what he saw were, were two different things. John is there weeping over hopelessness. He hears hope. There is a lion. And when John turns to look, he does not see a lion. In fact, notice what it says in verse 6, Revelation 5, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, not, not a lion, a lamb. A lamb. Now, now, let's just look at the differences between the imagery of the lion and the imagery of the lamb. I think they're about as far apart as they could possibly be. A lion is able to ferociously defend himself. A, a lamb is not. A lion is able to right to to hunt down its prey and and is able to right to rip it to shreds and to and to eat of its spoils. A lamb is totally dependent upon the shepherd, if you will, to lead it by still waters and green pastures. John gets this imagery of this lion, but when he turns to look, he sees a lamb, but you'll notice there's something interesting about this lamb. This is a lamb, and this lamb 
Now, now look at this. Again, again, I want you to see all throughout this, there are these juxtapositions, if you will. There's this lion and this lamb. There's this, there's this lion pup and this established lion. There is this lamb, but this lamb is standing. And when John turns to look, he doesn't just see a lamb standing. It's a lamb standing as if slain. In this vision, what John sees is he sees the lamb standing as if slain. All throughout the biblical history, Christ has been referred to as or pictured as a lamb particularly within the sacrificial system. Over and over, sinners in Israel brought animals to the priest who would lay their hands on the sacrifices and transfer their guilt. The animal would then be sacrificed in the place of the sinner. Isaiah 53, 4 and 6 says this, says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. All predictive according to prophecy. We all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. Not only was the lamb prophesied and pictured in the Old Testament, he was presented in the New Testament. Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. He grew up and lived away from public life until he was ready to be presented to Israel and to the world as Messiah. This happened first at the Jordan River where a prophet named John was baptizing in huge crowds of people. And John's statement presented Jesus to the world as the Lamb of God. When John sees Jesus coming to the waters to be baptized, John says in John chapter 1, 29 verse 31, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ was then presented, God then presented Christ to His enemies and ultimately to Himself for death. Romans 3.23 says that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. God presented Christ to the world as the Lamb of God who was to take away the sins of the world. And the Lamb was punished. Three phrases in Revelation 5 speaks to the punishment of the Lamb. Notice what it says in, in verse 6. Though this Lamb was slain, this Lamb was, was slain, in verse 9, it says, You are worthy to take up the book and lease its souls, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. And then notice down in verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Again, in, in verse 12, He was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. It's as though heaven can't stop talking about or thinking about the death, the bloody death of this lamb. 
I think it amazes me that heaven can't stop talking about the blood and the sacrifice of Christ our Lamb and churches and denominations today want to remove every instant from it. From their hymn book and from their doctrine, from their teaching. Many of you probably know Charles Stanley, right? Probably grew up listening to him online. And many years ago, his son kind of went at his own path of different ways and established North Point Church there. And you've heard me say many, many times that, that you can't understand the New Testament without first understanding the Old Testament. We, we, can't, we, can, we had to start in the Old Testament even before we started our study of the book of, of the Revelation. And Andy Stanley came, came out in recent weeks and says that it would be good for Christians to unhitch their faith from the Old Testament. I don't see how you can do that. There's too much in the New Testament that has to be understood from the Old Testament. And one, of course, being that Jesus is the Lamb of God. The essence of Christ's lamb-like behavior was that He allowed Himself to be slain. Have you ever thought about that? This lion, the tribe of Judah, presented Himself as a lamb willing to be slain. He, he is the lion. And yet he meekly submits to arrest, unjust trials, mocking, spitting, beatings, flogging, humiliation down the streets of Jerusalem, then hideously painful death by the cross in full view of the citizens of Israel. How could he suspend his power so meekly? How could he behave so weakly? How could he just allow him to mock him while he suffered for others on the cross? You see, what's important for us to understand is, is that the Lamb on the cross, the Lamb on the cross was actually a lion on our behalf. This lion was destroying sin, destroying sin. This lion was crushing death. This lion was tearing apart Satan's dark kingdom. And as a lion, he would rip apart his prey. Jesus was as savage as any lion has ever been, but he did it meekly as a lamb. This was the Lamb's punishment, not for anything He had done, but for things we had done, for the sins of the world, for the wretchedness of God's, all of God's children who would believe in Him. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, but in being the Lamb of God, He had to be the lion and conquer <clears throat> death, hell, and the grave. This picture blows my mind. And I want you to see there on the cross, yes, he's right. He remained silent before his shears. Our sin was placed upon him. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was sacrificed on our behalf. But I also want you to see. 
He is a lion. And without being a lion, he simply would have died. But being a lion, he overcame death, hell, and the grave and destroyed. I could go on and on and on. Jesus Christ is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. A fierce adversary has been defeated, utterly vanquished, and the plunder is his to take. The triumph of Jesus is clear. He has earned the right to take the scroll with its seven seals. The triumph is nothing less than his victory at the cross, victory over Satan and his demonic forces, victory over death and the grave. Jesus was a lion against these deadly forces, tearing Satan's kingdom apart, ripping the grave limb from limb, roaring in victory as he died it is finished that's the cry of the victor the lion's great triumphs the spoils of the victory are evident here in revelation chapter 5 verse 7 when it says and he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne look at this lamb if you would When John turns, he sees this lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns, having seven horns. These seven horns, seven is a number of perfection or divine completeness. So this is a symbol of perfect power. That's the omnipotence of God, all powerful omnipotence. This lamb has seven eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. With it, we gain knowledge. Seven eyes means perfect sight. That equals perfect knowledge. That speaks to the omniscience of God, that he is all powerful in his omnipotence, all knowing in his omniscience. The seven spirits sent out into all the earth by the Holy Spirit of God. Christ extends his presence and his power everywhere, all over the globe. And this is the picture of of the perfect presence of God or his omnipresence he is everywhere at the same time and so we can see his worthiness we can see his worthiness all of this together gives us the picture of the one who is worthy the one who is worthy to overcome death, hell, and the grave and do that. And let me just share with this in closing. We're going to stop here for today. But let me share this. Let me share this in, close, in closing. You know, what's, you know what's fascinating to me? What's fascinating to me is here on out in the book of Revelation, Christ is pictured not as a lion, as a lamb. As a lamb. Now, why is that? Well, because we are his children and he sacrificed his life for us and he is relating and connecting to us. He never ever relates his lion like attributes to us as the body of Christ. He always, always, always um, uh, is visualized and pictured and discussed to the believer as the Lamb of God standing as if slain. But beloved, I can promise you this, to those that are still upon the earth that are apart from Christ, who are about to endure the wrath of God, He will come to them in lion-like ferociousness. 
and they will be unable to escape. Today, in this place, Jesus is the Lion of Judah, and He is the Lamb that was slain. If you are saved, if you are born again, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you see Him as a Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and you see His line-like attributes that He did on the cross. But beloved, if you're here today and you are outside of a saving relationship with Christ, you are beyond... Um, at this point, uh, outside of the family, still under your, the judgment of your sin, still under the wrath of God that was poured out on Christ on the cross, then, then beloved to you, He is a lion. And if you do not repent and you do not return, you do not come to God and believe on His name, and, 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 and He receive you into the family of God and forgive you of your sins. Then, beloved, you will one day face the terror of this lion. And it will be throughout all of eternity that you will bear the wrath of this lion. I would implore you today to see Him as He is and to follow Him with all of your heart and to be saved. John says, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. When you and I get to heaven, last thing, when you and I get to heaven... I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to a glorified body. I'm looking forward to being able to eat all the calories I want to eat and not bother me and affect me. I'm looking forward to being at the perfect age. I'm looking forward to all of those things. Be as buff as you'll be in heaven, I guess, right? We're all looking forward to our glorified bodies. When John saw Jesus there in heaven... If there is any, if there is any carrying through of this vision and all the realities and things that we see taking place, when you get to heaven in your glorified bodies, you will look upon Jesus. And when you look upon Jesus, you won't see Him in His glorified perfection and holiness with his, all of His attributes physically you will see him as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world and you will understand in that moment the greatness of who he is the depth of your depravity and the sin for which he died and be overcome with the grace of God that's extended to you. May we capture that in our lives today.
And may we somehow, by God's help, see all that's been given to us. Heavenly Father, thank You for loving us and sending Jesus to die for us. Thank You that He, in line-like fashion, defeated Satan, defeated death, overcame the grave, ripped from limb to limb death itself in order that we could receive Him, in order that we could be forgiven and we could know Him as the Lion of the tribe of Judah and know Him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God, I pray that You would help us to see that He is worthy. And I'm thankful that the elders could say to John, John, stop weeping. There is one who is worthy, and he is still worthy today. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.